All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Um, to give you a, like some background into like how they train pastors for um, delivering sermons, uh, if you have gone to seminary and you've taken, taken a preaching class, um, there's different ways for how you're supposed to con- construct like a sermon that you're writing, right? And so, um, not that we always follow this in like an exact formula, but usually there's like an introduction to kind of like make the passage or the topic kind of connect with like us as for wherever we're at, right? So like, you know, we'll tell a personal story or like we'll talk about a movie or I'll talk about K-pop or something. Um, Today's passage really needs no introduction. Like, what my preaching professor told us was he said, even though it's, like, normal that you need to construct a nice introduction so you don't, like, immediately put your audience to sleep, there are passages in the Bible that are interesting and shocking enough to capture someone's attention. And I think today, where we're at in our series in the book of 1 Kings is one of those passages. Now, if you've been with us, you know normal, uh, normally the, the way we believe the Bible is best taught is when we are looking for the author's intended meaning, and we're still gonna do that today, but normally we don't read a passage without understanding the context. Today, I wanna read from our passage just so you get kind of the shock value of what's going on in this passage. So let's, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from 1 Kings 13, verses 11 to 25. It'll be up here on the screen. Um, But I just want to read, now again, this is not the whole story in this passage, and we're going to talk about uh, all the details later on. But let's just look at these 15 verses here and see kind of how shocking they are. Because I think they're, I think they're like, this is a part of the Bible where when we get to the end, I think you would normally say, wait, this is in the Bible? Like, this sounds crazy. All right, so let's read it. Uh, verse, verse 11 of 1 Kings chapter 13. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And his son showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your father's. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. 
And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. It's not normal that like we read a passage that ends with a lion coming out of nowhere and attacking someone and killing someone. Right? That's not a normal like part of the Bible that you normally come here uh, like looking to hear. And so the title of this message, um, we always have titles, but a lot of times we forget what they are when we're preaching. But this one, I think, is very uh, um, appropriate for this, for this message. But the title of this message is, How Did We Get Here? If this is a, like, if this is a really shocking passage where there's these two prophets, like, and granted, we're going to need more details, and we'll get into that. But there's these two prophets trying to figure out what's going on, and one of them ends up being eaten by a lion, and we're saying this is God's word, and it's meant to instruct us with some truth that's really important for us. We have to ask the question, how did we get here? How did this come about? On um, This past Wednesday in our young adult group, uh, we, we've been doing a series on God and technology. And this past week, we watched a TV show where the premise is, imagine living in a society where everything is driven by social media, and you have a score attached to your social media profile. And the higher your score, the more benefits there are for you in society. Like there's a scene where, like if it's out of five, there was a scene where a man is a 2.4, which based on the premise of the show is very low. And so it's like he can't even get into his place of work because you have to be a 2.5 or above for the door to even open for you, right? Sounds like a really crazy society. Thank God we don't live in a society driven by social media like that. But there's this girl who is obsessed with raising her rating. She's a 4.2, and uh, in order to get a good discount on an apartment she wants to rent, she has to get up to a 4.5. Now, the way the rating system works is when you interact with anyone, because everyone's holding their phones constantly 100% of the time, if you have a nice conversation with someone, you might give them five stars or four stars, and then it all averages into your score. And she realizes she needs to, like, even though she's a 4.2, which in society would be considered pretty good, it's like she realizes she has to, like, really kiss up to all of the, like, people with the higher scores so she can raise her score to get this apartment that she really wants, right? Now, that's a, a quick description of it, but what you see in the episode is a downfall where she goes from 4.2, doing everything that she can to try to earn this greater score, but it ends with her suddenly, like, because she's obsessed with these ratings, actually treating people harmfully, and her score keeps going down and down, and it just becomes a train wreck of a story where by the end, she's all the way at the bottom. And it's just like, it's very cringy when you're watching it because you're like, man, this just seems like, like a really crazy scenario and like how bad does she want like society's approval and this like, you know, social media score. And by the end of the episode, you're asking yourself, how did we get here? Like it is such a like broken and kind of low ending, spoiler alert, of course, right? But to where she got there where it's like, how did we get here? It didn't happen all at once. In the same way where this man who's like eaten by this lion, it's not that this just happened by chance and that like the world is so random that all of a sudden a lion pops out of nowhere. But what we're gonna see in this particular story is we have to understand the backdrop of what's going on with God's people and why this story of the man being eaten by the lion is actually a really big warning and a really important truth for God's people, for the nation of Israel.
So where we're, if you've been with us, we've been reading through the book of First Kings. It's a real, we're at the point in the book where there are a lot of like really challenging passages like the one we just read. And we're going to see why this book exists. And if you were here from the very beginning of the series, we shared with you the reason why we are going through the book of First Kings is we find it really important to preach through all different parts of God's word, not just to preach the most popular passages or the ones that we feel are the most encouraging to us, but to see if we want a full picture of God's wisdom, we have to understand all parts of God's word and what it might be teaching us. And it might not be the most positive, most encouragement, most, most comforting parts of scripture, but I promise you these passages are really important for us so we can learn more about God, more about like the, the reason why we want to uh, just um, so intentionally seek him with our lives. So we're going to see three things in this passage. We're, obviously, we're going to have to read um, beyond just the verses that we read to, to understand the context of what's going on. But we're going to see three truths about God in this passage. We're going to see that God is powerful, that God is just, and that God is purposeful. And in 1 Kings chapter three, 13 and 14, we're going to see these three truths about God on display. So first, what does it mean that God is powerful? Um, there was a key verse that Daniel read to us two weeks ago. And last week, we were introduced to several key characters at this point in the book of First Kings. If you remember, there was Rehoboam, the uncertain politician, the son of Solomon, trying to establish his rule, following in the giant footsteps of a man that we call from the Bible, the wisest man who ever lived, and how he's seeking the just to kind of please the people that he is in charge of. And then we saw Jeroboam, who was a man who many people uh, in Israel saw as someone who was a worthy leader because he was a foreman. He had been in charge of people who were working on the temple during the, the building of the temple, and he was someone who was very popular with the people. But we see where he goes wrong when people want to put him in charge um, to the point where he, you could say he almost like changed the whole system of worship based on his own personal opinion of how God should be worshipped. And that was a very, we saw that that was a very dangerous thing. So we were introduced to these two characters, but um, a verse that's really important for us to understand the entire setting. If we're going to ask, how do we get here where this man gets attacked by a lion, like out of nowhere? It's not out of nowhere. It comes in a setting where God is trying to get the attention of his people. And that's a big clue to why this passage exists. But a key verse for us to understand the setting of all of these things that are taking place comes from 1 Kings 12, 15. And so after Rehoboam, the uncertain politician, is trying to establish his rule, um, and after people want to put Jeroboam, the, the other powerful guy, into, into power, um, this verse kind of gives us a picture of what is happening in the nation of Israel. It says, So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord, had, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Now we've talked about this verse multiple times, but if you don't remember, if you haven't been here with us, what this is showing is that the events that are taking place, it is all happening for a purpose that God has for his people. And this is a result of God's people 
like going through, like they had, it had taken a really long time for God to bring the nation of Israel to a place of peace and prosperity where they could build a temple and a place of worship. And finally they were able to do it. And they experienced like coming from a place of uncertainty and always being at fear of foreign nations attacking them. They've come to a place of peace and prosperity where God has shown them, I am with you. You now have an established country and a big, beautiful, established place of worship, the temple that Solomon built. But the whole premise of this is that Solomon was acting on the wisdom of God. And what, what God had communicated to Solomon is, if you listen to my wisdom, you will experience the blessings of like, what it comes from, from me being your God. And what we are now seeing in society with Solomon's son and Jeroboam, the other, the other leader of the people um, that we'll see are going to be at odds with each other, we are seeing a society that has now completely ignored the wisdom of God. Even though it took great like, efforts by God's leaders, by the kings, by King David, King Solomon, to experience like, what it looked like to live by the wisdom of God and to see the blessings that come with it, it hasn't taken long for it all to fall apart. Now, what we see in the midst of this first is that God is powerful. So even though there's a point where uh, everything seems to be falling apart, uh, if we're going to go back and kind of read the opening verses to give us the context for this story with the lion, we see how God is acting powerfully, even though this is a period of judgment that God's people need to experience. We see this in the first six verses of 1 Kings 13. And this will start to give us some of the context for this interesting story that we started with this morning. So let's read starting from verse 1. It says, Behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Now, I'm not going to talk about these verses for the sake of time too much, but it doesn't seem like it's going well, right? And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself." The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and became as it was before. So this is interesting. This is in the context of Jeroboam, the man who kind of created the alternate places of worship, and now like some really kind of like definitely uh, sinister stuff is going on with the you know the offering of of uh, human bones as sacrifices, which can never be a good thing, right? And so in a society that now has started to completely ignore God, then there's this prophet sent by God to come before Jeroboam. And when Jeroboam stretches out his hand and his hand is shriveled, that doesn't just come out of nowhere. But it's something that God is doing to try to get his attention, right? Like there are like 
physical miracles taking place where I'm sure Jeroboam thought in my interaction with this guy who somehow is a prophet from the Lord, I'm sure he didn't imagine it's going to end with my hand being shriveled. And yet that's what happens. And it's amazing what happens after it gets shriveled. Like, and this is what happens immediately. It almost, it's almost like he becomes a person of faith where he's saying, no, no, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Take it back. Like make my hand. Okay. Right. Suddenly he believes that God can do like a miracle to reverse it. And, and it happens that way. But this is what this shows us is that even in this period of judgment, where the whole purpose for why God is doing these things is to try to get people's attention to show how much they have strayed from God's wisdom, it doesn't stop God from working powerfully. And even for Jeroboam, as he's like looking at his hand, he's thinking like, how, like, God, how can you make this right all of a sudden? Even though he had his own way of wanting to worship God and he had been doing all these things to lead people away from the proper of worship from God, but all of a sudden he wants God's help in like restoring the health to his hand, right? And this shows us that even in the worst of situations where God is trying to get us, get our attention, we see that there is something miraculous, something out of the realm of normalcy with physicality is happening with his hand. And that's really important because if we're going to think about a God who wants to get our attention, when sometimes we have walked away from him, we have ignored him, we have ignored his wisdom in all kinds of ways, we need to believe that he's powerful. If he's not powerful, then why would it even matter? Why would his wisdom matter at all? And so even in the backdrop of God's discipline, when we see the start of this chapter, we see that in a, like, in, in, a, in a world where people are probably not thinking about God at all, they're coming up with their own ideals, their own philosophies on life. Jeroboam has changed the way that God is worshiped in Israel and not for the better. It's a way where God still shows up and shows his power. And before we go further into the story, that's something worth considering for us this morning. Are there times where maybe God has shown up really powerfully and not even necessarily from like a positive or an encouraging sense to kind of get our attention and show us he is still God. He is capable of doing what he says he's doing and that he's powerful and that we want to seek his wisdom and put it into action in our lives. And so in the midst of this really like low point in the nation of Israel, and it hasn't been too long since everything was good and like they were at peace and prosperity. We'll talk more about that as we, as we finish the, the, um, the passages we're going to read today. God is still working powerfully. And so um, hopefully this is an encouragement for us to think about, are there ways where maybe God is trying to get our attention? Where something happens out of the ordinary. Now, this is the Old Testament. I would say that God um, appears to us in uh, oftentimes many different ways than we see in the Old Testament. There's a lot that has changed with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but that's some big picture theology that we don't need to get into now in this moment. But the point is to show that in this situation, in a very broken place for the, for the state of God's people, God is still powerful and God is still working. That's the first thing that we see. Now, when we start to make sense of the story that we read that ends with this man being attacked by the lion, we're also going to see that God is just, that there's a reason why this is all taking place. And so if we keep reading in 1 Kings 13, starting in verse 7, we're going to get some more clues to the background of what's going on with this man who was attacked by the lion. So starting in verse 7, it says this, the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. 
And the man of God said to the king, if you give me half your house, I will not go in with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Now, these are important details to our story, because what happens is this man, he's originally a prophet that is meant to go and like appeal to Jeroboam to kind of speak on God's behalf, to get Jeroboam's attention, because he's been leading God's people astray. We talked about that last week, last Sunday, right? And so God has given this prophet specific instructions. Don't like have a meal with anyone, right? Go and do what you're supposed to do. And then when they invite you for some hospitality, which would have been normal in that culture, you have to refuse it. Like, this is just what God has said to him, right? And so now, if you remember the passage that we read, you see that the man who kind of deceives him and gets him to stop, he says, well, even though you are a prophet from God and you've received this, uh, these instructions not to eat with anyone, well, guess what? I'm also a prophet from God, and God has said it's okay. So let's have this meal together, and it's a way where he gets distracted from what God had said to him, and he's like, has to weigh this in his mind, but he ends up having a meal with this man, and then he puts him on the donkey, and then as he's traveling, he gets eaten, right, by this lion, or he gets attacked and killed, right? Now, why would this prophet not listen? Like, on, at one moment, he is resolute in saying to Jeroboam, like, even if you offered me half your house, which as one of the kings of Israel, he would have more money and, and wealth than a lot of people. So when he says half your house, house, that's a big deal, right? And he's resolute in saying, I'm not going to go with you. But then when he encounters another prophet, then he says, like, well, he has to hear, wait, you're a prophet too? And God is seemingly saying the opposite thing that he said to me? Like, how do I make sense of this? And the whole point in seeing this interaction is really to show us this is how confused the nation of Israel was. And I don't know if you've ever been in a scenario where you feel like God has spoken to you very clearly and you think, oh man, I'm pretty sure God is saying this to me and I feel really strongly about it. And then you go and you talk to one of your good uh, Christian brothers and sisters and you say like, God was saying this to me. And then, and then they start to say, well, God was kind of saying the exact opposite. When you think about the phrase like God is saying this, it is a very powerful, but also a very dangerous statement that we can get into in conversations with one another. What happens if you feel God is saying something to you and then God is saying the complete opposite thing to someone else, and you're having to try to figure out what that looks like. Now, a really good way that Israel would have been able to solve this problem is if the wisdom of God was a priority to them. But what it shows us is in a society with competing voices and all kinds of different ideologies, all kinds of different thoughts, how do we know who's really telling the truth? And so this man who was sent by God to be a message to Jeroboam, to call out the evil things that he's doing with these sacrifices, to show that they're wrong, it shows that even though God is using him for a purpose, he doesn't have enough of kind of the, the just like the backbone and the understanding of what would actually be wise. Now, it, 
like we don't have more context for saying like why God would not want him to like interact with others. We can make plenty plenty of guesses. We could say, okay, of course he doesn't want him to eat with Jeroboam because of all of the evilness that's going on in this society. But hopefully you can see the point is to show spiritually what a confused society. So many voices. So many opportunities to listen to different voices to try to discern what's going on. And I would say that then for us, we're living in a time where we have more voices available to us than ever before. You can open up your phone, open up social media, you can see all kinds of different opinions on anything, politics, pop culture, uh, COVID, whatever. And then if you keep looking, you can see the exact opposite opinions as well. And how do we make sense of all of these things? It's the problem that we see in our world today with trusting the news and fake news reports. How do we ever know who's telling the truth? These are the challenges that a technologically advanced society like ours has to deal with. But I think the point that we can see from the book of 1 Kings, even though that was many years ago in a very different kind of society, the point that God wanted his people to understand then is still very much true for us today. How do you know who's speaking when there's so many different voices going on? And yet one thing's been very clear in the book of 1 Kings, going back to Solomon and his reign, God has encouraged him multiple times, seek my wisdom. That is the best way for you to understand which is the voice of truth that's speaking. And so practically what that looks like in our lives is many times if you hear someone saying as if they are speaking for God, it is really important for us to have an understanding of God's word to match it against that because we don't know when someone can be just giving us their opinion. They might even have good intentions, but we never know who's actually telling the truth when there are so many competing voices going on. And so tragic as the end is for this prophet as he gets attacked by this lion, you could almost say it's not entirely his fault that he's in this situation because of how confused Israel is. And how did they get there? They got there from a continual refusal to trust God's wisdom and put that into their lives and see how God's wisdom might be leading and guiding them. You could see a beautiful picture of the opposite of what it looked like when they trusted the wisdom of God and it resulted in peace and prosperity in their country and being able to build the temple. Now look, let's be careful. I'm not, this is not a way of saying if we trust God's wisdom, then, you know, we will be as financially successful as Solomon with all the gold and all the riches that he had. But what God has been trying to show to his people is if you listen to my wisdom, then you will know that you can trust me. You will know that I'll be leading you. And this is how I want to interact in my relationship with you. And if we, if we hear so many voices in our lives and we're having trouble discerning what truth is, maybe it's a time for us to really ask ourselves, well, what does God's word say? What might he be saying to us? What voices from society that I might have given some power in my life do I need to kind of turn off or even question and see, is that really leading me to like where I want to be and what is most fulfilling for me? Or is it... Leading to, or is it leading me to the seat of the donkey that this man like ends up on, which results in this lion coming and attacking him, right? And so we saw that God is powerful in the midst of all this with the shriveling of the hand, right? And if God is, if God is as powerful, then we want to ask ourselves, what is God using this power to try to com communicate to his people? 
And I really believe that this whole story is meant to show us, like, look, this is how confusing life can be when even the prophets of God don't know exactly what God is saying because of how like, far they've gotten away from God's wisdom. So why would this prophet like, not know how to discern if he was supposed to sit down and have a meal with this man or not? It was a microcosm of the bigger kind of chaos that came from the, just the a period, like a, a slow but like common refusal of people to listen to the wisdom of God. It was the backdrop of the times. And so we've seen this in the in the past uh, in in the past uh, weeks where we saw Jeroboam making up his own way of worship and how dangerous that was. And so in an in an environment where the leaders of God's people are going all kinds of ways based on their own like human intuition and not trusting in God's wisdom, then you can imagine how confusing this time must be for God's people. And so we've seen that God is powerful. And we've seen that God is just. The whole reason this is going on is it's an, it's an attempt to get the people of God to listen to God's wisdom the way that the previous generation did. And finally, we're going to see that God is purposeful as well. And we see this as we go through chapter 14 a little bit, which tells us the tale of the two characters that we were introduced to last week. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read every verse. We've read a lot of the text already. Um, but in chapter 14... Jeroboam sends his wife to one of the prophets of God. Now, it looks like, it seems like this time, this prophet actually knows what God is saying. And so Jeroboam, though he had this interaction with this prophet previously and his hand shriveled, but then this prophet was no more after he uh, met with other prophet and got on the donkey and was attacked by the lion. Um, he sends his wife to this prophet because uh, he because he knows that uh, bad news is coming. The, the backdrop to where we're going to start reading is um, uh, he is worried about what's going to happen to his son. You can read that in the first five verses. Um, but let's pick up in 1 Kings 14, starting in verse 6. It says, But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet, her meaning the wife of Jeroboam, who had gone to the prophet to inquire of him, as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? for I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free and Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. So this is a prophet speaking with the authority of God seemingly more authority than the one that we've previously seen in chapter 13. And he's speaking of the, like, this is the result of what's happening to Jeroboam as, like, the effects of him ruling God's people without considering the wisdom of God at all. And so if we read on, starting in verse 14, it continues to say this. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today, 
And henceforth the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their Asherim provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. And so really this is an indictment on Jeroboam constructing his own idea of what worship is meant to look like and leading the people in it. And so this prophet is letting his wife know this is the future of what your house is going to experience. And really what we see here are the consequences of a, a king of the nation of Israel and of God's people and how he has ruled people in a way that's based off of his own human intuition and not seeking the wisdom of God. Now, if you remember the other character that we were introduced to last week, King Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, chapter 14 also speaks of uh, some of his life at the end as well. So let's skip down to verse 25 and see what, um, see what the passage teaches us about Rehoboam. Verse 25, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guardroom. These shields of bronze that are being made by Rehoboam, Solomon's son, are actually a big deal because it wasn't long back when the temple was being constructed, that Israel was looked at as the richest, most successful nation. And if you remember what we saw just a few chapters back, it said silver had no use in the nation of Israel because of how much gold they have, right? That's how rich and prosperous they were as a nation. And now, like, you know, we all know the Olympics. There's like the gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal. It's like clearly bronze is much inferior to the other medals, right? That's why it's, they give it out for third place. But it's like, it, not even silver was present at one point, and now things have fallen apart so much that they are making shields out of bronze. And you have to ask yourselves, how did Israel go from this place where they were the envy of so many other civilizations to now they are just like grinding to be able to make uh, armor and weaponry out of bronze when they had all the resources to do it in a much better way not too long ago. It's a stark contrast from all the gold that they had. And so let's finish up with the last two verses of, uh, with two more verses uh, that follow this, starting in verse 29. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And here's the key verse in verse 30. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. This war that existed within the nation of Israel, within God's people, it was the result of having two kings when previously it had been ruled by one. Like David had established peace in the nation of Israel as a good king. Like we know that from what God's word teaches us, he had his sinful and broken moments, and yet he was also described as a man uh, with uh, a man after God's own heart. And God used him to bring Israel to a place of, of uh, just like solid ground where they could begin to establish themselves as a nation. And then Solomon, who relied on the wisdom of God, at least in the early parts of his life, these were the two kings that established everything. But since then, now we have multiple kings 
at odds with each other, and war taking place amongst God's people. And really, it's one more way to show this is what happens when God's wisdom is ignored. And that's how we ended up with the man confused as to what to do, sitting on the donkey when the lion comes and attacks him. And so God clearly had a purpose for this period of the nation of Israel to show these are the consequences of what happens when we don't take God's wisdom seriously, right? Now, when we think about the kind of the shock value of this story, that this man riding on a donkey ends up being attacked by a lion, not something that we would normally think the Bible is uh, like trying to describe to us. Or when I was telling you the story of the TV show we watched, of this woman in pursuit of the social media kind of uh, heaven to like be able to like fulfill all of her desires by achieving a certain kind of uh, societal approval that she was so like so intentionally seeking after, but then having it all crashing down. When we find ourselves in our lowest moments, we often ask ourselves, how did I get here? It's not like it just happened out of nowhere, but many times when we reach a low point in our lives, there was a series of events that took place that ended up to get there. That was true of the nation of Israel. It was true of this woman in pursuit of the social media um, attention and, and approval. And so the natural question for us when we read a story like this or when we see someone really crash and burn and be at a low point in their life, the natural question for us is to ask, oh my gosh, how do I avoid this? I don't wanna be there. I don't wanna be in a, in a place where I'm asking myself, like, how did I get here? And that's where we have to remember the backdrop of, of, of the nation of Israel and what they lived in. And at a time where God's people needed to be reminded with the utmost seriousness that they were following human folly, meaning the wisdom of man, but it wasn't that wise for reasons that we've seen throughout the, throughout the book of 1 Kings. Then hopefully we can ask ourselves this morning, what circumstances are we living in? We're living in a time unlike anything we've ever experienced. I'm sure in my preaching, I sound like a broken record about how different the pandemic is, and yet it continues to affect us, um, even a, a good year and a half after we've all been uh, subjected to shelter in place and trying to figure out, okay, now how do we recover from this? What a blessing for us to read through the book of First Kings, to be able to heed God's wisdom. And in ways where the pandemic and what 2020 and 2021 have brought to us, um, a lot of ways where we've experienced isolation that we as humans meant to be communal are not meant to experience, um, the weirdness of wondering when is society going back to normal, hopefully there have been more opportunities for us to see how do I, how do I just embrace the wisdom of God to find answers for times that I don't understand. And when I think about the moments in my life, both the big ways and also the small ways, where I have to ask myself, like, how did I get here? How did things like spiral out of control to a place where I'm asking myself, how did this even happen? When I think honestly about like those moments, if I if I really if I really reflect on what would lead to us asking that question, I usually I honestly can say it's usually because I'm following my own wisdom or my own logic. And I'm not listening to the voice of God that's there for me to try to help me understand how do I make sense of everything that's going on in my life. 
And so hopefully as we read through the book of 1 Kings, we can understand where we are in the story of God. This was clearly a period of judgment for God's people. Now, the way we apply this is not to say, oh my gosh, I have to constantly live in fear of God's judgment, though we want to take his wisdom very seriously. But if you think about this lion that attacked this man sitting on the donkey, this lion was clearly an instrument of God's judgment to show this is how confused God's people are as a society, not heeding his wisdom. And so we've talked about how the book of Kings like, it shows the brokenness of human authority and man's authority to try to rule over one another. And the amazing thing about the big picture of the Bible is that when you get to the Gospels, you get to see a picture of Jesus, a very different, um, a very, like, very different from the Old Testament kings, but the king that we needed. The one who didn't try to rule by force or, to, or gain more approval for himself the way that we see Rehoboam and Jeroboam scrapping for here in the book of 1 Kings. But you see a king who came to this earth and laid down his life for our sins so that we might have hope of what a relationship with God looks like, right? Now, if this lion was meant to be an instrument of judgment during a time of Israel's unfaithfulness, this image of a lion is also a term that is used to describe Jesus in the big picture of the Bible. And I wanted to finish with a verse from Revelation um, that I really uh, find powerful. If you were with us a couple years back, we preached through the, the entire book of Revelation. If you know the book of Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible, and it's a way for us to understand um, kind of the big picture of humanity, like just our brokenness and how God wants to redeem us, but also what is going to happen at the end of time when the one true king comes back. Um, we get this picture of Jesus as the Lion of Judah in Revelation chapter 5. Now, in the first four verses of Revelation 5, um, I remember when we preached through this book, what we saw in the first four verses of Revelation chapter 5 is you see it's kind of like a courtroom scene where there is this scroll that you can see is meant to be considered of great importance. And then John, the author of Revelation, he sees this vision of it, but he weeps because there's, he's, he, he's thinking to himself, there's no one who's able to open this scroll. And I think what that's meant to teach us about humanity and about life in the big picture with God as king is that there are human challenges that there are no human answers for. And yet the amazing thing about the picture of, of Revelation in this moment in, in verse 5 is it says this. As John is considering, like, there's no one able to open the scroll. One of the heavenly beings, the elders in this courtroom setting, he speaks to him. And we see this in verse 5. It says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And what that shows us is in a broken world with seemingly no human solutions, there is one person who is able to show us all the wisdom that we need. And that is found in Jesus, the Son of God. And so the good news about us being able to study the book of 1 Kings is that we have the big picture of the word of God where we see this period of judgment for Israel. It's not only, it doesn't just end there, but what we see is it creates a longing in people for the true king who would eventually be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And where we sit here today on the other side of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection 
and in an era where he dwells with us through his Holy Spirit, we can start to discern how important is the wisdom of God in my life. Do I want to live my life driven by earthly wisdom and see all the consequences that we see here in the book of 1 Kings? Or can we experience a relationship with the living God who wants to speak to us and lead us moment by moment, even in all of the uncertainty and all of the crazy times that we live in? And that's why knowing each part of the Bible is important, but even more importantly, knowing the big picture of Scripture is important to see that, yes, God is powerful, He is just, He is intentional in trying to help people understand who He is, but in the end, He is also gracious and redeeming. If we simply look at this passage, the main message for us is to see this is a huge warning for us to employ the wisdom of God in our lives. But the blessing is in the big picture of Scripture. We're able to see how God has His purposes, and we can trust in that to see how a relationship with God is going to give us the best wisdom so that we don't always have to ask ourselves, how did I get here? And here's the amazing thing about God. If we find ourselves in that moment where we're asking, how did things spiral so crazily out of control to where I got here? God is so gracious and compassionate where you can read in his word from start to finish, story after story of how he redeems his people, not because they are perfect, not because they perfectly heeded his wisdom, though it certainly is a great idea for us to do so, but because this is how gracious and loving our God is. If we find ourselves confused in a world with more news than we've ever had, more social media than we've ever had, more voices than we've ever had, and we are trying to figure out who is actually telling the truth. Is the power of God even real? Does it even matter for our lives? Thank God that he has made a way for us to know him through the death and the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, and the resurrection that took place to show us that he really is God. He really has power over life and death. And that's why his wisdom can certainly be trusted.